Well, this is our uh, 42nd sermon in Romans. You saints have persevered. Uh, let's put it that way. We started the Sunday after Easter in 2016. Now, that's a little over a year, uh, but we, of course, had time for Advent and some other things in there, but for the most part, we have continued to uh, work our way systematically through this this book, and we have kind of said again and again that we're leaving so much out, so we could have had double, triple that number of sermons uh, in terms of the the amazing content. But we've come to a, a transition point uh, today, actually. If we look back to where where we've been, uh, without going through uh, every uh, message, the, the big themes, we, we saw Paul begin in uh, Romans 1 by introducing the gospel and his proclamation that the righteous shall live by faith. And there he was laying the, the groundwork for the rest of Romans, and certainly for the whole Old Testament, and, and bringing together the Old and, and the New Testament in terms of the gospel itself. And his emphasis was this, it is not about man's ability. It cannot be about man's ability. But it is an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside of of ourselves, and that's a gift by faith. And then moving forward in, in Romans, he presents the, the plight of the entire human race, which is that they are condemned by their relationship with Adam and by their behavior, which is a, according to their nature, which came from Adam at the fall. And then in chapters 3 to 5, Paul fleshes out what he introduced in chapter 1 as he gives uh, an explanation of of justification uh, that is by faith alone. And he pounds it from from every direction, uh, reminding us of, of that great doctrine and what it means in our lives. And that takes us into uh, six, chapter 6, through eight, where he um, he goes into the Christian life, and and the realities of the struggle with sin, even though we are no longer slaves to it, that we we still have this struggle. And in in Romans seven, he talks about his own great struggle. This week, I told I told uh, somebody I was telling them about an incident that it happened this week, and I said, man, the Romans 7 Dale really was coming out at that point, you know, in terms of the, the struggle that we have ongoing, even though we don't have to sin. And we are children of the living God, and that makes all the difference in the world. And then in chapter 8, we have perhaps the, the highlight chapter of maybe the highlight book, if you can ever say that about God's Word, 
And we spent a lot of time in, in chapter 8. We slowed down as we saw those amazing theological terms and, and concepts and how they applied to our life for, for comfort. Those doctrines that, where he talked about salvation from, from his perspective and, and what that means that ultimately we are more than conquerors. We are super invincibles when it comes to what He has done for us and that there is absolutely nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then we hit chapter 9. 9 through 11. And that, for me... And evidently the commentators agreed because they made these kinds of statements some of the most challenging uh, portions of all of Scripture in terms of understanding. We we saw God's election uh, of His children further explained. We saw His plan for His church, which was to be made up of Gentiles and of Jews. And then we saw how His great plan in history would be a blessing to both Jew and Gentile. And and then he talks about God's mercy to all. And right at the end of that sentence, he bursts into praise. And this is what he said, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who's given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's bow together. Lord, will you today in these moments give us hearts of praise? Will you, along with what you did for the Apostle Paul, will you you cause praise to overflow out of us to where we cannot contain it? Lord, we look to you for this. We need you in this. In Christ's name. Amen. In terms of the great divide between a focus on, on God and a focus on us, John Piper calls this, this kind of thinking the continental divide, basically, in terms of, of theology. You know what the continental divide is, where, where 
You know, all the rivers run one way on this side and all the rivers run the other way on that side. He says this, If you really believe this, all the rivers of your thinking run toward God. If you do not, all the rivers run toward man. Settling this issue is worth many nights of prayer and months of of study. And here's what he's saying. And this this is what we've been seeing all the way through Romans. And that is this. We are at that point. And the question is, in your heart, are, are the rivers all about you? Or are they all about him? And that's this transition point. And where you come down on that question makes all the difference in the world. No matter what you are facing today, which side you come down on makes all the difference in the world. So he, he bursts into praise here at the end of uh, chapter 11, and i got to be honest with you, I, I told you this has been, this, these have been hard chapters for me. It's, uh, uh, the, the preparation has been uh, wonderful to go through, but it's been difficult. And so I must admit at the end of chapter 11, I felt like bursting into praise too. Like I, I, I made it. And you probably feel that way as well. But, but that's what happened with him. He couldn't stop himself. At that point, now I've I've called this uh, this message "Doctrine to Doxology." So let's let's think about that a little bit in terms of the doctrine itself. I can't tell you whether Paul intended to teach about praise from this passage, but God saw fit to preserve it for us, and so obviously there's much to be be learned. I think it was spontaneous. I think uh, Paul just burst into this, but it, it, it con- contains just classic praise of God. But before we look at what came from Paul, I, I want us to grasp what happened here. Paul has written this deep theological treatise. It's some of the most precise doctrine that the world has ever seen. But it doesn't stop with gaining knowledge. Too often we hear uh, the word doctrine or uh, theology and we think, oh no, here we go. We, we had this little phrase in seminary with some of the, the, the books that we would have and we, we would say, yeah, that's the book that I want when the big flood comes because... I want to be able to stand on it because that'll be the only dry place around. And I think we tend to think that way when when we hear uh, about doctrine or about theology. But if you feel that way, that's my fault. 
I don't want to leave you there. And with all of this doctrine, every week we have sought to uh, apply it to our lives, what it, what it really means. Doctrine and theology are not, and they cannot be, an end in themselves. In fact, that's a lot of what we talked about in the LAMP program. We would talk theology, but we, we would take it over into ministry. Because it, it's not just about the accumulation of knowledge. We shouldn't stop there. And Paul won't leave us there. Paul can only teach doctrine so long and then it turns into praise and worship. And then what we're going to see is next week it turns into this big section of almost purely application in our lives. So here's what I want to challenge us with this morning. J.I. Packer in uh, his classic book, Knowing God, rightfully points out that there is a vast difference between knowing about God and knowing God. See the difference there? There's a difference between just having this accumulated knowledge about him. It's like we can know things about the president of the United States, whoever the president is. You can know, you know, about his family, about his background, where he lives, you know, things like that. We can know those things about the president, but that doesn't mean we know him in the sense of having a relationship with him. And that's Packer's point. And so, you who are here at St. Andrews, you have a lot of access to knowledge. You have the Sunday school hour. You've got men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, community groups. You've got ample opportunity, Wednesday night messages. Opportunity to accumulate more and more knowledge. But the question is, and it's a diagnostic question, has all you know about God led you to a deeper and richer praise and worship? All this knowledge that that you accumulate or at least have access to, Has that led you to a a deeper worship or not? Because if the answer is no, then the question has to be, do I really know God through Christ? Or do I just know about Him? We're going to look here at how Paul's Worship overflows. The way it overflows, he just he got overwhelmed with who God is and what he has done. Now, if that hasn't happened to you, ask yourself, do I just have an intellectual knowledge? Or is there a relationship there?
all over our church we see uh, the mission statement of our church. Our mission at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church is to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. And then there are some places where we will, will boil that down to know, love, and serve. And we kind of have those categories of knowing, loving, and serving. And I, I was excited this week as I was working through uh, this passage to see how actually this transition fits perfectly with the, the way Paul was presenting under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how he was taking us through Romans. You have the the knowing part, the doctrine. Basically, chapters 1 through 11. And then the loving part, here in this transition passage where where, uh, what comes out of all that he knows is this deep, Worship of Christ that he cannot contain. And then the serving part that will begin next week through the end of the book as we'll see some practical passages. Now let me give you a caution in terms of of doctrine as well. And that is, if in your life doctrine has become an end in itself, that will absolutely lead to pride. Doctrine as a way to know God better will lead to worship. Not pride. Hanley Moore, uh, who was a bishop of Durham, said, beware equally of an undevotional theology and an untheological devotion. It's a good turn of a phrase. We need to beware equally of an undevotional theology and an untheological devotion. Jesus puts it this way. I want worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. So let's take a look at what comes next, this burst of doxology or, or praise Look at the content. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how he praised God, he focused on who God is, what he does, and what he deserves. We're going to look at each very briefly because we are walking toward this table uh, before us. So we see, first of all, who he is, his attributes. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Is there anything that that you can't understand about God? Well, if, if you say, no, I understand everything about God, then you have created a God that's way too small. If he is God, there will always be those things that we cannot begin to search, to understand. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? You know, sometimes people say, well, I can't wait till I get to heaven and I will know everything about God. 
wait a minute. In heaven, we will absolutely be in worship of God. But look, even at that point, if you know everything about God, you are what? God. So we won't. But we will, we will see him in a greater, in a bigger way without the same limitations we have here in this fallen world. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. John Stott said, uh, Not one of us are God's counselor or his critic. We're neither his counselor nor his critic. Now the reality is we try to be both, right? We want to be his counselor. Think about your prayers. What are you telling him he needs to be doing right about now? His ways are beyond ours. That's omniscience. He knows all things, and we don't. He is God, and we're not. So what's the difference here between wisdom and knowledge? Sometimes, uh, frankly, in the Scripture, those are just, they're interchangeable. Or just parallel. But if you want to make a distinction, one commentator said, knowledge is awareness of the facts, and wisdom is the awareness of how to use those facts for a good goal. Knowledge is understanding the facts. Wisdom is how to use those facts for a good goal, not just accumulating them. So our worship should never depend on us totally understanding God. In fact, it is because Paul doesn't understand him that the only response at that point for him is worship and praise of him. And that's what it should evoke from us rather than frustration that we don't know everything about God. When we come to the end of this, this intellectual knowledge, this doctrine, it should drive us to worship him all the more. And then we see what I'm sometimes in theology we call his independence. Look at verse 35. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Here's the thing we need to know. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. And there is never a time, there is never a time where the Creator owes the creature anything. So anything good that we receive from Him is purely by grace and mercy. And then we, in this verse 34 and 35, basically, this is, uh, these are quotes right from the Scripture from Isaiah 40 and Job 41. If, if we are to worship in truth, then our worship must be rooted in the Word of God because only God knows what brings Him glory. 
It's not about our imagination, us telling him what glorifies him. It's him telling us and then us responding. That's the nature of worship. It is our response to him. So the Bible should inform us uh, our worship, but also lead us to worship as well. So that's who he is, and then it speaks about what he does. He sustains all things. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. This uh, uh, from him, he's the source of all things. John 1, 3, all things were made through him. He created all things. Through him, Colossians 1.17, all things hold together by him and to him. He is the goal. His glory is the end of uh, what he does and then what he deserves. Verse 35, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? The implication is that uh, God has given so much that he deserves to be paid back. And now we're back to the rivers running different ways. If you think, if you, think you can pay him back by your actions, even good actions, by your obedience, or by anything you do, and you're on the side where the river's running toward you. But instead, the answer to this question is, no one can pay him back. And we mustn't try. And that's the river running toward him so that he absolutely gets the glory. And that's how he ends it, to him be glory forever. Amen.